This is a very special shiur. First of all, we are doing the shiur. We do this every time that, that Israel and Chutzlarts are off kilter, which we are now for the first week, uh, because Shavuot, second day Shavuot is on Shabbat. We're doing the Israeli Parsha. So first of all, people in Israel will have something to share at the table. And also, so we'll have a week to think about it. Not so bad. Um, but this is also a special shiori, because as you can see at the top of the page, um, our son, Aaron Benjamin Roni, is getting married to Ariella Leah um, on Sunday. We're very, very excited about the wedding, and you will see why this is a special shiori in honor of the wedding. Uh, I'm going to start with a pasuk that's not in this week's parsha. This week's parsha, again, being Palotcham. Uh, which is a pasuk, um, three psukim at the beginning of the second chapter of Yirmiyahu. Uh, these psukim are well known from two contexts that are not people who study Yirmiyahu. One of them is that um, highlighted pasuk, pasuk bet, or the second half of the whole pasuk bet, is part of the zichronot section in Tfilah Rosh Hashanah, which is a gorgeous section. And, and those of you familiar with Lewandowski's rendition, Immediately hear this tune in your head. It's gorgeous. The second thing is that you may be familiar with this because when we read the Haftarah on the first week uh, of the three weeks between Shiva Sabatamas and Tishamba'av, it starts from the beginning of Yirmiyahu, Divrei Yirmiyahu, and it ends here. It goes into the second parak. First parak is short. goes to the second parak and ends with this very hopeful piece. The phrase goes as follows. Right, so Miyahu has a has a message from God. So go speak to the people in Yishalayim. Let them hear this in their ears. Call Amar Adonai, and here's the message: Zacharti lach Chesed I remember the kindness, and I'm going to talk about the word Chesed in a minute. Of your young years, Ahavat the love of our chupa, basically. And you understand the relevance of this pasuk. And and how did that manifest itself? Following me in a wilderness, in a land that was not planted. In other words, this seems to be reflecting on Am Yisrael's loyalty in following a Kadosh Baruch Hu through the desert, through the 40 years that it took, eventually, to get from Mitzrayim to Eretz Canaan, to Eretz Yisrael. And it concludes with Kodesh Yisrael Ladonai, which the essential message of that pasuk is, I'm Yisrael, are my people, they're my beloved people, they're holy to me, anybody messes with them is going to answer to me. And that's not going to be pleasant. And so when we're about to start our study of Yumiahu, which is in this section of Yumiahu, filled with all sorts of rebukes against Am Yisrael's behavior, it starts off with this hopeful note and uh, uh, evoking nostalgically days of Tremendous love and chesed. So I want to talk about the word chesed now before we go further. How would you translate the word chesed? What translation would you use for chesed? Go ahead, fire away. Don't be shy. Love. Love, okay, good. Anything else? Kindness. I'm negating it. I want to add to it, yeah. What? Kindness. Kindness, good. Both of those are accurate translations, depending on the context. However, there's a translation of chesed, which is probably more accurate in Tanakh, certainly in earlier Tanakh. And it's surprising because we don't notice it. But then when we think about it, it actually makes a lot of sense. And if you and the, the prime the prime place to look at this is in Tilim Petet, 
In Tilim Petet, it talks about Chastei David, and the word Chesed and Emunah or Chesed and Emet are always parallel to each other. And Emunah and Emet means trustworthiness. Chesed, uh, a teacher of mine pointed this out to me a few years ago, and it really blew me, blew my eyes open. He said, Chesed is probably best translated as loyalty. And I'll take you to somewhere where this really becomes impactful. If you think about it, we start our tefillah every time with Zocher Chastei Avot. What does Zocher Chastei Avot mean? So you say he remembers the kindness or the love of the Avot. I have to be honest with you, when you read Sefer Breshit, that doesn't emerge so much. The Midrashim emerges, but not in the text. But what does emerge powerfully is a tremendous sense of loyalty. Avram's loyalty towards Sarah, Avram's loyalty towards Ishmael, Avram's loyalty towards Yitzchak, uh, Yitzchak's loyalty even towards Esav, Yaakov's loyalty to Esav, to Yosef. I mean, it, it, it's a tremendous statement. And if you think about it, in Tefillah, Zocher Chastei Avot, he remembers the loyalty of the Avot towards their kids. And you think about it, we're turning around and saying, remember the loyalty of the Avot towards the kids, and we want you to have that loyalty towards us. Because the other phrase that's key is, Gomel Chasadim Tovim. Now, what's chesed tov? Chesed should be tov. It should be a superfluous phrase. But gomel means to pay back in kind. So he pays back in kind for good acts of loyalty, loyalty towards each other. The reason I'm mentioning that is because in this context, that seems to be the most obvious meaning, once we have it in our palette of translations. Zacharti la chesed nureich. I remember the loyalty of your youth that you followed me loyally throughout the desert. The reason I'm mentioning this is because if we look at the middle of Parshat Pahalotcha, we get a beautiful picture of this with two strange things happening. I want to draw the draw the picture out or un- reveal the picture, but also point out the difficulties. One of the difficulties starts here. In Sefer Shmot, in Parshat Bo, we do the Korban Pesach and Mitzrayim, and then we're told... Uh, that year, in other words, after doing when preparing the Quran Pesach, Moshe says, Meaning, you're doing the Pesach now in Mitzrayim. At some point, you're going to come to the land that Hashem gives you. You do it there. And look at the Mechilta on the spot. Meaning, this Avodah can only take place in the land. And if that weren't enough in the next parak which is the Parshat Pesach for the future, or meaning Pesach Torot, So when Hashem brings you to that land, then you'll do this Avodah in this month, meaning that Korban Pesach depends on being in Israel. You don't do Korban Pesach in Hutzlars. The reason I'm mentioning that is because at almost the beginning of our Parashah, we have the par- the, par- the parsha about Pesach Sheni, which is two things. Pesach Pachodesh Sheni, but first Pesach Pashana Sheni. Meaning, Hashem commands Moshe to tell B'nai Israel, do the Korban Pesach. This is now one year after the Mitzrayim. It's on the anniversary. We're out in the desert. We've just consecrated and dedicated the Mishkan and the Mizbeach. And now do the Korban Pesach. And then people come to Moshe and say, we're Tmeim, we don't want to be left out. So then Pesach Sheni comes in. Pesach Sheni is of interest, but my interest here is Pesach Pashanah Sheni. Because everybody asks the question, 
Why did they only do one Pesach in the desert? Why didn't they do a Pesach every year? And the standard answer given, it's a Gemara Nivamot, is that all of them had children who had not had Brit Milah. And not only if a person doesn't have Brit Milah, he may not participate in the in the Korban, but if somebody has children or slaves who are not Nimol, he may not participate in the Korban. So the assumption was that during this first year, any newborns born, newborns that came, came around had Brit Milah, maybe. But then afterwards they weren't, and that's the story in Yoshua Hay, when they come into the land, and the first thing Yoshua is told to do is a mass Brit Milah in anticipation of the Korban Pesach. Okay. So they couldn't do Korban Pesach afterwards. So everybody asked the question, why only one? And I asked the opposite question. Why one? Why is there a Korban Pesach in the desert? The Torah very clearly says it belongs in the land. And by the way, this takes us to the big machloka, Rabbi Kiva Bishmael, about how many korbanot were actually brought in the Mishkan when they were in the desert. Did they bring korbanot? Did they bring tmidim, etc. So that's its own question. But why is there a Pesach here? So I'll be honest with you. For many years, I was convinced that the korban Pesach brought here was a what we would call hora'at sha'at, a special mandate, a one-time deal that was there as part of now, in order to do that, we have to remember that Sefer Bamidbar, and by the way, the end of Shemot and Vayikra and Bamidbar all kind of overlap in time. And we have to piece them, take them apart and put them together in a sequence that's chronologically accurate to see what's going on. B'nai Yisrael spent the entire winter collecting for and constructing the Mishkan and all of its appurtenances. And then Hashem says, on the first day of the first month of the second year, the Hainu, almost a year after leaving Mitzrayim, you will set up and consecrate the Mishkan. That's the very end of Sefer Shmot. In the middle of Vayikra, we hear the story of what happens, including the death of Nadav and Avihu, right, when they consecrate the Mishkan. We come to Bamidbar, and in the Parsha that you read last week at home, and we're going to read this week here in Chutzlaretz, we're told about the dedication of the Mizbeach that is done by the 12 Nisi'im, starting on the first day of Nisan for 12 days. So I want you to picture what's going on. We've constructed the Mishkan. It finally gets permanently put up. Permanently is the wrong word because it's a movable thing, but meaning it's not no longer the trial of the seven days of Miluim. It's put up for permanent Avodah on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Nachshon brings his korban. The next day, Netanel brings his korban. The next day, Eliav, etc. And that takes us all the way through the 12th day of Nisan. Now, what's happened is every tribe has been represented. That's beautiful. And therefore, indirectly, very indirectly, and very much by by uh, Shlichut, everybody has had, had, taken, has had a role in the Hanukkah Mizbeach. Okay? So what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu do? He turns around and says to Moshe, I want everyone to bring Korban Pesach so that everyone has a place in the Mishkan. And it's part of the dedication of the Mishkan is the Korban Pesach. And don't be surprised, because the first thing that B'nai Israel do when they return from Babel is they construct the Mizbeach and bring Korban Pesach. Korban Pesach is always the initiator. When Chizkiyahu gets rid of all the Bamot and cleans up the Mikdash, the first thing he does, mass Korban Pesach. When Yoshiyahu, same thing. So Korban Pesach is like an initiator, an inaugurator. I get that. And that's what I was convinced this was for years. And I, I think it's still true, but I think there's something else going on. Here's the Korban Pesach and Pesach Sheni. 
And then it's followed by this, that a description of how B'nai Israel traveled. And I'm going to read it because it sounds so technical, it sounds so dry, and then I'm going to make a couple comments along the way, and you're going to see how deep and gorgeous this is. And I'm just being driven by this forno. We won't have a chance to read, but it's at the bottom of the page. And anybody who didn't get the source sheet, I'll be happy to send it to you. So on the day that it was set up, the cloud came down. That was the sign that Hashem accepted our avodah. The cloud came down and covered the mishkan. And at night, it turned into a pillar of fire. So there's a cloud during the day and fire at night. So this cloud is always over the mishkan. At night, fire. And now, and the minute the cloud went up, B'nai Israel traveled. And wherever it, the cloud settled down, that's where they camp. Cloud picks up, they start moving. They follow the cloud. Cloud settles down, they camp right there. And this, this, again, it sounds like a very technical thing. It's a very powerful line. They traveled based on God's direction, and based on God's direction, they camped. As long as the 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 anan, the cloud was over the mishkan, that's how they that's how they stayed. Now, that itself seems a little bit superfluous. You've already said it, but if you stopped at that point, I would get a beautiful picture. Now, get ready for real superfluousness. I once tried superfluity, and it's not a word. Let's say the cloud was there for a long time. They Israel guarded what Hashem gave them and didn't travel. Sometimes it was only there for a few days. They traveled and they camped based on God's word. They'd arrive somewhere at the end of the day, the cloud would settle, they'd camp, and the next morning it lifted up. Maybe it was there 24 hours. Now, again, this is this is just saying the same thing in a few different ways. Sometimes it's two days. Chodesh meaning a month, yamim here meaning a year. As long as the clouds there, they stay. The minute it gets up, they travel. So they could be there for a few hours. Camp, set up camp, and break camp. They could be there for a year. Always ready to go, but stay there for a whole year, years until the cloud lifts. And that's the line. They camp based on God's word. They travel based on God's word. They guarded what God gave them to guard. And that's the parsha. Now, again, it's it's a gorgeous parsha in and of itself. It seems to be a lot of overkill, overstating the same thing. And then you get to the Sforno here, who goes step by step. I recommend reading it step by step and points out how each one of these statements is powerful. He says, sometimes you'll get somewhere and you won't even have time to set up. But if God says time to move, you move. And there are no complaints. Sometimes you could be in a place that's very bad. But if God doesn't say to move, you don't move. He says, sometimes you could be in a beautiful place with an oasis, and the cloud lifts, you go. You understand now, chesed nu You understand, ahavat 
you understand this absolute loyalty to God. And by the way, we are fond of talking about B'nai Israel as complainers. But we hear the complaints. We don't hear all the silence, all of the acquiescence, all of the loyalty. And here we hear it. But what I found strange is you have the Korban Pesach. Then you have this picture, which is followed by the command to make chatzotzrot. Now, what are the chatzotzrot used for? They're used to gather the people. They're used to gather the Nisim. They're, gather, they're used to, in, to initiate movement, time to travel. They're used on korbanot. They're used when going to war. That's the picture. I understand what they're doing here because they're part of travel. But then they're out of place. Because it should have been right after the Pesach. In other words, the Pesach, that concludes their encampment. And then Moshe makes some chatzotzrot because when we move, we have to blow the chatzotzrot. And then describe how we move. Instead, the chatzotzrot come afterwards. And what's more jarring is that followed the, following the chatzotzrot is this whole piece, which is B'nai Israel actually traveling. On the 20th day of the second month, what we call ER, the cloud lifted up, and they started traveling. And by the way, we sing, we lay in this in a festive tune. I don't know if you guys have this minigan Beit Shemesh, but in, in our show, we lay in this passage in Shiratayam tune. It's festive. And B'nai Israel is marching, and it's beautiful. And it goes through all the steps of marching, and it concludes with this unbelievable conversation between Moshe and Chovav. We've talked in the past about who Chovav is. And he's Yitro and Sipor's brother. But Moshe turns to Chovav, and he says, come join us! I mean, the way the Rav described this in his famous drasha on Balotcha, there is enough greatness in the world to include everybody. Come, come join us. It's, it's embracing. And eventually Chovav comes with them. And the cloud travels with them. And it concludes with Vahibin Saharon, Moshe. This is so moving. And by the way, this is the end of excitement. After this part, things go downhill quickly. And ultimately, Lashon Hara, however you understand Miriam and Aaron, and then Miraglim, it spirals down. But this is a high. But again, why is the Korban Pesach A happening at all? Why is the Korban Pesach presented here? Why is this section about travel, the description of the travel, why does that interrupt between the Korban Pesach and the Chatzotzot? The Chatzotzot should have been first as a necessary tool for travel. So I'd like to suggest, again, based on the Pasuk in Yumiyahu, about Chesed Nuray, and I introduce you to somebody who yeah. you not know, a famous Italian parshan, whose name was uh, Reggio. He's known as Yashar. I think he was Shimuel Reggio. Lived in the 19th century in Italy. What a beautiful perush, uh, which, uh, like many perushim, has been revived of late, mainly because of internet access. It's available now, as of the last couple of weeks on Allah Torah. I highly recommend. And he says the following about the Pesach. Hutzrach mitzvah zot, why did Hashem have to tell Moshe to bring the Pesach? And I, I'm going to read what he says. I disagree with a piece of what he says, but the first part I think is really, but I'll tell you the rest also. Why did Hashem have to tell Moshe to do Pesach? Because originally the command was only to do it in Israel. And he quotes the Pasuk. 
ועכשיו רצה הקדוש ברוך הוא וציווה שיעשו אותו. And now watch this gorgeous line. כדי שיתהיה זכר גאולתם, והניסים שנעשו להם ולאבותיהם, נתק להם מן האבות הרואים לבניהם, ובניהם לבניהם, ובניהם לדור האחרון. You know why he wanted them to do a Korban Pesach in the desert? So the Pesach shouldn't be something the old folks talk about. So it should be something that's fresh for us. To ignite that magical moment, that nostalgic feeling that we get from talking about, ooh, remember what it was like when we were in Mitzrayim, and suddenly we were huddled in our houses and celebrating the Korban Pesach, and the next morning we got up and walked. Remember how beautiful that was? And by the way, It's always way more beautiful a year later and way more beautiful 20 years later. Ask anybody who's gone to high school reunion. That's what we do with nostalgia. That's fine. I absolutely adore the late 60s and early 70s when I grew up. I probably didn't adore them as much when I was living it. That's how we are. So what happens is Hashem commands here, bring the Korban Pesach to regenerate that feeling of closeness. Why do we have to regenerate that feeling close to us now? Because the next thing that you're going to do is going to be very challenging if you don't have the right attitude. You think about this. A couple gets married. Everybody has challenges. Everybody has obstacles, whether it's financial, whether it's family pools, whether it's uh, um, um, vocation or what they want to get involved with, whether it's friends, there's challenges. What's the difference between a couple that makes it through the challenges and a, and a couple who the challenges defeat? Well, there's a piece of the puzzle is to never forget that moment when you looked at each other and you knew. When that moment, when the spark lit and you knew, this is the person I want to spend my life with. For a moment, if you don't mind. Watching Roni and Ariella together and the amazing way they are together, I know that at whatever point that moment happened, there was a sparklet that can never be extinguished as long as they continue to fan the flame. And sometimes the best way to fan the flame is to go back to Camp Stone, to go back to wherever it is, to talk about the old stories, to see those old friends, to revive that very powerful magic moment. Because B'nai Yisrael are about to start on a journey which will tax them, which will challenge them. And there's two ways that journey can play out. It can play out with kvetching and hardships and seeing everything as an obstacle, or it can happen with love. And so the Torah deliberately, after telling us about the Korban Pesach, that itself is an act of tremendous energy, enthusiasm, and love, because the few people who can't participate complain. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves that complaining so much that he creates a new mitzvah called Pesach Sheni, and he even delays our departure from our Sinai for a month so that we can do Pesach Sheni. Amazing. And then, the absolute statement of loyalty, right here. When the cloud lifts, They travel. The cloud comes down, they stay. If staying is uncomfortable, it doesn't matter. We're staying with God. Not, it's a problem, it's a sacrifice of giving up. No, it's okay, because I'm I'm traveling with God. It's a PSM. That loyalty, that's a chartidah chesed nuraich. That's a havak vlotayich. 
And that's exactly So after the Torah describes the generator, the provoker of this nostalgic feeling of love, of connection, of commitment, then it that which is the Pesach, then it describes how it manifests itself, not just now, for the next 40 years. Then, when that's taken care of, we can get down to the technical thing. Okay, we need some Chatzot And once we got the Chatzot in place, now we can describe that triumphal march, that amazing march of the, the nation, the camp, marching harmoniously in formation, each Machaneh, Mamashlech Shiratayam. But it has to start by regenerating that spark. And now imagine, if you're a member of B'nai Yisrael here, how much you are longing to get to the land, if for no other reason so you can do Korban Pesach again and reignite that original spark, that original commitment, that original connection. That is, I believe, both why the Korban Pesach is commanded this first year, beyond being part of the 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 dedication of the Mishkan. It is a regenerating of that magic moment in Mitzrayim through the eyes of nostalgia and through the eyes of tremendous connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that's going to carry them through the desert. It's why this next passage follows the Korban Pesach, even though it's out of place, because this is the result of that loyalty. This is the result of that feeling, is this loyalty and this loyal travel. And then the technical part about, okay, you're going to travel, you need Chatzot to travel, that's how you're going to know. And then the description of how it all comes together. The beautiful, harmonious travel of Machane Shechina and Machane Leviah and Machane Yisrael. Marchot Hashem. If you will, the army of Hashem. The way it's described in the Tanakh. The way that David describes it to Goliath and about Goliath. And that concludes with what is ultimately the purpose. Because remember, we are continuing a mission started by Avraham. And what was the mission given to Avraham? Ultimately, And so how does this passage end? With Moshe presenting an invitation that through Chobab is an invitation to the entire world. Come join us. And it all starts with our own absolute, unquestioning loyalty to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, following him wherever he wherever he goes, wherever he takes us, with absolute faith that it's right for us, and absolute love and commitment that we don't want to be away. And that, of course, is the is the magical spark. It's not magical, but that powerful spark that can take people through the hardest times with a smile and can ensure years and years of a beautiful bayit in Israel, which, of course, is our brachat to Roni and Ariella, uh, as they get ready for their wedding on Sunday, Mir Tzeshav.